0: Hi, my name is Zachary Marois. You can find Voyage Melting Pot on Kickstarter right now. I am the creator of the project. My social media is Zachary's Art on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, on Facebook, it's Dwarf Star Comics. And you're watching Two Geeks Talking.
1: Hi, I'm Brett Milgrano. I am uh, one of the contributors to the Voyage Anthology 2 Melting Pot. You can find that on Kickstarter, Voyage Melting Pot, uh, you can find me on social media and Instagram at B. Melograno. and right now you are watching Two Geeks Talking.
2: Good morning, afternoon evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries, and of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We're joined today by two very talented creative people. On the show. This is the first time on the show for that. This is the first time I've seen their particular collaboration anthology series of the sci fi nature. We are joined today by the ever talented Zach Marois and Brett Meligrand. Hi, everybody.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
2: It's great having you both on the show here as well. I greatly appreciate you coming on. Obviously, you have a Kickstarter campaign, you have a great collaboration with a, a variety of very talented artists from the Kubrick school as well too here. But for those that don't know anything about Voyage to Melting Pot, tell us what it's all about.
0: It's pretty much a, you know, melting pot of a bunch of different characters um, just coming in from very different worlds, just like all convening into this one book where Their stories are all relevant due to this one alien character who's able to travel the universe, and he has witnessed everything. So therefore, he's telling the reader and showing them who these characters are.
2: So then how did this series come together? Because obviously you have a a 200 page anthology of of amazing, creative, talented people. Getting even just uh, two people to work together on a series is hard enough, but how many people did you pull together to to pull this off?
0: I'd say 23 Cupid School graduates. So I'm a graduate from, I believe, two, three years ago. Man, it's been a while. (laughs) Time really flies by. Like These guys used to be my classmates, um, the majority. And I just basically, you know, after the success of the first volume, which I self-published and the success of Voyage the Call, which funded on Kickstarter last year in January, it was a pretty much easy yes to get so many people on board to jump on this.
2: Then, Brett, how did you become involved with this?
1: We both were in the Cuba School together. Uh, We met our first year. Um, We were in the same class and stuff. The school's uh, three years So, you know, through those three years, we always kept in touch and stuff. And it was during our third year, right when the pandemics actually started, we were all kind of sequestered in in, uh, our apartment. Zach was working on a narrative piece for uh, the Sondran character. And uh, he just asked me for some uh, helps with edit for dialogue and story and stuff like that. And you know, then we just started collaborating, started working more on the Sondran backstory and the mythology and stuff. And after we graduated, we just decided to keep it going. So from there, we started doing Voyage the Call. That was actually, I guess, our first real collaborative piece that we did like a full story because uh originally like i said we were kind of doing a little zach had a couple pages here and there that i would you know add dialogue to or or just kind of work on the structure but voyage of the call was the first full you know i think it was like 25 pages or something the the book was that we actually worked on so from there it just kind of took off
2: like 23 creative people all with different visions bringing together their own stories to this amazing anthology is must have been interesting in terms of uh, collaboration
0: it can be very stressful at times um it takes a lot of planning and i'm very good at planning that's all i could say to that i mean you just got to keep calm and you know, make sure you plan for the worst and expect the worst. And I think you'll be good along the way, every step with just that.
2: So out of these 23 creators, what stories surprised you the most?
0: Oh, The number one had to have been Bob Harden. Bob Harden is the instructor at the Keeper School. He has worked with Chuck Dixon, the writer on this book called Seven Deadly Sinners, which is going to be coming out later this year. It's a book he spent quite a few amount of years working on. He had this story, uh, if I remember correctly, it took him 10 years to make because of like all the stuff he had to do within that time frame. And no uh, company wanted to go ahead and pick that issue up. Bob Harding, Uh, dressed up as the character Sondran for the Kickstarter video. He just calls me up on the phone. He's like, Hey, uh, I have this unused issue. Could I just like give this to you in the book, uh, throw it in, you know, as part of a story. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he hits me with that number. I'm like, wow. Like, so that was the big one. Uh, The second one had to have been the artwork from Steven Beard. Stephen Beard was uh, this guy who used to go to the Cupid School. We spent the first year together, but we haven't heard from him since. I needed some help on one of the stories. Uh, it's about Scorn, a pot smoking demon who is tasked to find this individual he failed on killing called Mothman. He, so he has to travel to Motharia and like take him out. So you know things go crazy. Stephen just you know hits me with seventeen panels on one page, fifteen on the other, and the artwork just is so stunning. It reminds me a lot of Trad Moore.
2: How about yourself, Brett? Was there any any stories out of the 23 that was amazing in, in your point of view?
1: To be perfectly honest with you, I haven't really seen a lot of uh, the guys' work. I haven't seen, I mean, I've seen a few off the top of my head. I know a really talented artist, Eugene Zabrowski. He's doing a great story uh, with his own character Carson, where he sort of meets Sandron, and it's, it's a very heartwarming and cute sort of take on Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've seen the pages for that. I've read the script and it's just just a really heartfelt story. It's very cute. That's one that jumps out at me uh, for sure. And of course, there's uh, Jack French, who's uh, a very, very talented young artist. He's got a great character called Slothman. Slothman actually was the backup story in uh, our Voyage the Call, first Kickstarter that we did last year. Jack's got a great uh, Slothman tale on this one that has to do with, Diving a little bit more into Slothman's background, just, you know, his art is just top-notch. To me, those are two definitely that uh, I've seen, I've read the stories. They're going to be standouts. Definitely professional level artwork.
2: Being graduates of the Cubert of the School, uh, and I've had a few graduates actually more, more recently on the show as well too. What did the Qbert School bring to your professional careers that made you stand out in being a creative person?
0: Uh, when I came to the school, I'd say within the first few months or our first month or two, I was really cocky. I definitely was taken down a peg or two. I'm a, I'm a jokester. You know, I, I like to fool around. Being at the school, it really grounded me. So I was able to figure out a way to fool around and still have people take me seriously because my work ethic is there. Um, you know, I'm going to hit my deadline. I'm very serious. I'm putting books together. I'm self-publishing them. You know, I'm congregating a bunch of people, you know, making sure that they keep in track. So, you know, people know how much I joke around, but they also know that at the end of the day, I take the work very seriously.
1: If anything, I think that the the experience reinforces a person's own concept of perseverance, you know, because the the thing about the school is that curriculum is, uh, what is it? I think it's like 10 classes a a week and 10 assignments a week. And, you know, they, they preach to you uh, you know, deadlines, 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 and stuff like that. So I think that it it's really one of those situations where it's more about digging down deep. You know, I, I know that's kind of cliche, but it's true in the sense that, you know, you have to really push forward with all the other adversities. You know, you're going to deal a lot with backhanded comments, and maybe your stuff isn't up to snuff with other people. But at the end of the day, it really just kind of reinforces your own personal drive and conviction. So I think that's something that everyone can gain out of that experience is definitely feeling a self-worth and a feeling that, you know, you can push through and pretty much succeed if, if you take those lessons that you learn at the school.
2: They instilled a, a work ethic of, you know, making sure that whatever gets thrown at you, you you complete.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. By hook or by crook sometimes, you know, <laughs> and sometimes... Sometimes you really gotta learn a trick about it too is that some assignments are more important than the others. So that's mm-hmm. another thing that, that you gotta kind of juggle and stuff. So that's that's another thing that you gotta learn at that place.
2: The world of of course voyage is is amazing in itself. What inspired the world of of the Voyage universe?
0: Man, that's a that's a tough question. Um, because there's a lot of different ways i could answer that the universe that i'm building pertains around Sandron strictly and the things that he's directly involved in the anthologies of volume one in this one melting pot volume two the, these stories are canon in terms of like how they happened but they're not part of his main story at all whatsoever it's just like uh it's like hellboy meeting rocketeer you know yeah. That could that could happen lore wise, you know. But that was just a, a one shot issue. Where what if those two met? So those are how the anthologies are. So I have like a own universe, but I am bringing people onto the label. What inspired me was in the beginning during the second year at the Kubert School when I was getting closer and finalizing uh, his story. When it was just certain things, certain kinks that I needed to work out. There was. A point where there was an instructor, uh, Max Fuchs. uh, I was talking about the story, and I was telling him like, "Oh, when I get out of the school, that's when I'm going to release issue one." And Max was like, "Why not just do it now?" You know. When he said that, I I thought about it after when I went home, and I was like, "You know, like what really is stopping me besides the hefty workload of homework?" And and I thought about it. I was like, "You know, everybody else uh, that's around me has great potential in their characters." they haven't figured it out yet as much as I did. Cause I've been working on this since the first year. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to get these guys. I'm going to force them to work on a book together in this book that I got already. We're going to make it an anthology. We're going to have Sondra in it plus their characters and we're just going to push it through. So I didn't really think more so on the story, just more, how am I going to properly tell and make this book relevant uh, where it makes sense to the reader. So if they picked up the first volume, is it going to make sense just on its own? And it did. It just helped pave the roadway to uh, where I got now.
2: Collaboration is always a, a fun experience to have. And obviously through the Cubert School, you all, all have collaborated either together or separately in your own ways here. In terms of this particular project though, or this series i should say uh what strengths does zach bring to you brett and what strengths do you bring to zach
0: brett's for me honestly he's like okay, i'm not trying to make it uh, sound cheesy but he really is like the support system underneath me because when a person reads cylinder on now and i mean now They're not just getting the way that I drew Sander on, but they're reading how he acts, what's his personality like, how he is involved in the situation, how he gets out of it. That's where Rhett's genius really comes in. Like, he's a great writer. This guy will come up with ideas, like just really great ideas on the fly and write it out in a way where you can just make a movie off of it. You can just go on this whole tangent. That's a gift, like he's got a writing gift for creating things and just making it fluent. And that was something I recognized right off the bat and I knew I couldn't let that go. When people read Sondaran and they get that first impression that's how he is, it's no longer my creation. It's both our creations. And with that being said, he is now the co-creator of Sondaran now and forever and all the stories that we're going to be working on together. So he is more so the support underneath me. That's definitely the strength that he's got to me.
1: Well, I think definitely, you know, whenever you mention Sonderon or you talk about Sonderon, there's a there's a real love that comes from Zach when he when he talks about Sonderon. You know, when I first met him, which was at the Cuba School, the the student housing, it's called the Mansion. It's this old, one hundred year old building, and you know, like. Put all the first years in there together. I remember one night uh, having dinner Zach was downstairs and he had a binder uh, full of you know concept drawings and different ideas and stuff for this character who had a different name at the time. Um, but he was you know kind of giving me a, a rough idea of, of what he wanted to achieve. He wanted to tell a sci-fi story, an adventure story but through the eyes of an alien and uh it's a really interesting concept because you know for the most part when we when we watch a sci-fi story you know it's always through a a human you know might meet some aliens along the way and everything like that but zach wanted to tell the story of you know the universe through an alien's point of view and not just you know an alien uh sort of an outcast alien you know he's not some uh you know heroic captain kirk or han solo kind of character he's you know, still very much a novice to this whole uh, galaxy hopping thing. So Zach's strength is, like I said, there's a real love for the creation and uh, it's infectious because whenever you work on something with somebody, if you don't feel their passion, it's hard for you to get passionate about it. And like I said, when Zach talks about Sondran and the vision that he has, you know, it's infectious. And from there, you just kind of, it just kind of, links into this chain where, um, you know, the, the words come out and the adventures come out. So, um, like I said, I think that his, his passion and love for the character, uh, really bring this to life.
2: Themes are always an important aspect when it comes to, to storytelling in general, and especially for this particular series and, and this anthology as well too. What were some of the themes that spoke to both of you as this series has evolved?
1: Right, you want to go first on this one? I gotta think. <laughs> sure. I think diversity is a is a pretty big theme in this book. We're getting so many different stories. People pick up the book, they're not just gonna get just uh, everything's a sci-fi story. There's pretty much everything in there for everybody. You know, there's mystery, there's horror, there's you're gonna get a lot of different stories and different creator reviews. And I mean I think that's basically why the book's called Melting Pot, because it's not just one theme. You're going to get a taste of everything. If I had to pick one, I'd have to say, man,
0: it's, I mean, I agree with Brett because that's exactly why I'm, the whole premise of the book, I'd say if I had to add to it, it would have to be um, the looks of, for me, just the a physical appearance of the characters. They each look so very different. And I wanted that even when i told everybody you know just create whatever you want to create i don't care what it is because Sandron is going to be like the crypt keeper he's just going to go ahead and sit in his console and show the reader so they go ahead and they just write their own stories but every single time they got back to me every story was so different not one story was even a hint similar to the next one and i really really appreciated that and that's what you get when you go ahead and you You're trained to a point where you treat yourself like a professional and you go ahead and you create all these great stories to a professional level. You're going to get the best of each person. And that's what we got in this book. And that's pretty much the theme for me.
2: Looking at the language, not only of the visual medium, but also from a a writing perspective as well. When was the first or earliest experience where you, you both learned that language had power?
0: oh man second year the when I was really starting to seriously edit the writing of Sondran that was when I really realized how much words can impact a character that's the more you know it's like when you get into the Cooper school you don't realize how serious and important key components are like a colorist you know you a colorist can make or break a story It's not just the artist or even a bad lettering can ruin a comic book. And it's those little uh, key things that once you pick up on that, you're going to realize like, oh, damn, I wish I'd known that sooner. And writing, in my opinion, it's the first staple of importance, important certainty to make sure that this book will be professional.
1: In regards to the school, in the curriculum, for about the first two years we were pretty much telling stories without dialogue, which is which is interesting because that's a that's a really t- tough order sometimes, you know, because you know, it is a visual medium, obviously, but it wasn't until our third year, at least in my opinion, when we actually had a, a proper writing course and a writing instructor, the power of words were reinforced kind of made me re- rethink a lot of the books and, and the things that I've read in the past, you know, to kind of think about, you know, you really have to re- have a really tight synergy between visual and written. I think definitely that course made that whole, you know, connection come to life and just reinforced it for me. It's not just explosions and and jumping over buildings, which is important. You know, you really have to have Solid story, solid dialogue, and you and you really have to have an idea of where you're going with your story if you really want to get people hooked on it. Flash will only take you so far, basically, you know?
2: What was the hardest scene to write for this anthology?
0: Oh, man. Uh, for writing, it wasn't the hardest because I had a basic idea of what I wanted and then Brett just, like, killed it with that story. The hardest scene had to have been to draw there was a it's on page seven and i oh my god you got these three bounty hunters right and they're fighting sonderon one's aimed at a rifle shooting at him sonderon is like jumping over and in mid-air he's throwing not only an emp device on a rifle but he's also throwing a bola tripwire like Mm -hmm. at the second uh villain While he's doing that, the third bounty hunter is, like, directly behind him shooting him and missing. And I'm just like, how the hell am I going to do this? Like, and it was just such a pain to draw, like, just to figure out the layout. But once the layout was figured out, I was like, okay, this is great. Layouts are always the hardest thing. It's not the writing. It's the layouts. Once you get the layout done and out of the way, penciling is just like, oh, finally. Now I can just sit back, relax, and just take care of it from here.
2: So why are the layouts so difficult?
0: The layouts are difficult because you have to transfer something that's written and something that you only uh, think of in your head. You're like, you see this and it, like this idea is one thing, but to put it on paper is a whole nother story because you got to like think about perspective. You got to think about the uh, what angle you want to use, downshot, upshot profile view, establishing shot, you know, all these different things that's going to be very important in capturing the mood of the story and how it goes. That's how you figure it all out is in the layouts. And that's why it's the toughest. That's where you think the most. And then when you go to pencil it, the things that you pencil, you're just basically plotting out your perspective lines after you did in the uh, layouts and then, you know, inking it You know, each stage is tough, but the toughest stage is definitely the layout stage.
2: So then what was edited out of the book?
0: If I had to say some concept designs that I did for the characters, uh, I just ended up redoing. I never really had difficulty editing anything out of the book because... We all, not only just the stuff that I did for my story with Brett and what Brett did with his story, but all of us knew exactly what we were doing and we were way ahead of this. So we took care of the hardest parts early on and then we started designing the book. It just, every page that was coming in, the only thing that needed to be worked on was like, edit this little tiny thing here, edit that there. Nothing really had to get yanked out of the book, honestly.
2: What is your creative kryptonite?
0: Oh, Brett, you want to answer that one?
1: <laughs> Creative kryptonite. Wow, geez, uh dang, that's a that's a tough one right there. I think you know, I guess just fatigue. To be honest with you, you know, to tell you the truth, I mean, it's like uh, I know for for my story personally, you know, I was I had started out with it was just gonna be like five page something, you know, but then it evolved into a twelve page, almost like a novel. Bella or something like that. And I just started, kept on writing, writing, writing. And then, you know, then came the art and the inks and the colors and everything like that. And by the time, by the time I was done, I didn't want to pick up anything after that. Like I was just really, really exhausted so i guess the creative kryptonite is is just fatigue when you push yourself too hard i guess then you you fall into the traps of those little temptations are always tough you know that could be Mm -hmm. a form of kryptonite as well you know
0: procrastination that's definitely my kryptonite i get so antsy and so worried about how bad i can screw something up and it, it builds up so badly inside me that i'm like I want to sit down like honestly like tonight i want to sit down and draw but i have so much on my plate and i just you know it's so easy i just can all i gotta do is just sit on the damn chair and just put pencil to paper on a, a thing that i'm working on and it's so tough for me to do that eventually i'm just like come on, stop being stupid. You're being an idiot. And then I'm like, you got you got so much writing on you right now. You got people counting on you. You have no choice but to go ahead and get this stuff done. And that's kind of what forces me to sit down. People are expecting me to put out new material. And that is what really forces me to keep going.
2: Then how do you deal with burnout? <laughs>
0: It's not good. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out a way to solve it. Uh, I think I I burned myself pretty bad. When I burn myself, it only happens when things go wrong. And I've done everything I could to make sure those things don't happen because they should not happen. By any means necessary, under any circumstance, it shouldn't have happened. But it did. Like, for example, on April Fool's Day of all damn days, during Voyage to Call, I was supposed to go ahead and ship in March. I was supposed to order all the books for Voyage to Call on the 1st of March. In January, I called and said, I got this book, but I also had variant covers. Can I place that all in the same order? And they said, yes, totally can. We can totally do that. That's no problem. And I was like, sweet, that's awesome. I should have gotten that in writing. Come to find out, April Fool's Day, I call and tell them, all right, I'm ready to go. And then they tell me, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't do that here. Each or each time you replace an image, it makes it a whole different order on the cover. And I was just like, dude, I wanted, and I had to work up, you know, all the way to the top of like, you know, the food chain. So I got to the person. He's like, I do remember saying that, but we definitely can't, you know, we can't do something like that. You know, it's just not our policy. You know, the best we can do is give you 2%. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was in the hole. I had to put my, I had to take some of my own money out and it was very, very tough. Um, It was a tough pill to swallow. And that is what really burned me bad. Things like that is what, really gets me in the burn zone
1: the way I kind of preemptively avoid it it's gonna sound cheesy but you know I like to you know go for a run and to a a fairly healthy diet and and sleep schedule and stuff so I think that helps but you know eventually you know you do kind of do burn out after a while so When that happens, you just kind of take a step back and you just catch up on things personally. Uh, If there's any comics I haven't uh, read yet, any books that I wanted to get around to. So I kind of heal the mind, so to say, by just kind of doing things that I threw on the back burners. You don't feel that what you're doing, whether it be, you know, penciling, inking, writing, uh, is a chore. You know, so you, you don't end up hating it at the end. So you definitely do have to do those kind of things to to make sure that you're not completely, you know, fried when it comes to do your next project.
2: Is there anything that I haven't touched upon for those that are watching and listening to this interview?
0: I think you're pretty much hitting the head uh, with a lot of the questions. I just, I'm having a good time.
2: At what point are we good enough?
0: <laughs> Never because for me it's never when you think that you're good enough is when you feel that there's no need to improve yourself and that's a problem everyone every single day needs to improve something in their life whether it be the way they talk or you know how they carry themselves to their trade their respective trade or professionalism it's just you know you always got to work on something goes the same for an artist you always have room to improve, you know? You're not Kim jong Il or Karl Kompinski. You can't just sit there for like a minute and just, you know, paint a damn portrait. So you have to constantly improve yourself to the point where you can get to that point one day. But for now, don't even think that you're good enough. That's just not true.
1: There's always the, you know, you gotta keep, you know, striving for get better and stuff. But I think it's also healthy to take a step back and and look at what you did and just kind of take a sort of a checklist of, okay, in this project, these are the things that I improved on. These are the things that I'd like to improve on. Just be proud of and happy with what you got, basically. And, you know, like you said, always, I can do better this time. But I think it's important that whatever project you finish, be satisfied with it. You know, I think it's important, you know, because... You know, I think as artists uh, in, in any medium, whether it be, you know, comics, writing, music, I think we all have a tendency to beat ourselves up a little bit too much. That eventually leads to, the, leads to the burnout and the fatigue and stuff like that. So, like I said, it's important to keep striving, but at the same point, you gotta take a step back and say, you know, like, hey, I did okay on this round, you know?
2: What is the second wisest thing that you've heard someone say that has helped you in your career?
0: second wisest the wisest thing man that's a tough one. that's okay the second wisest thing I probably have been ever said to me probably would have been a relative of mine that I used to work with and he threatened to take away uh, my characters because I was working in his brand uh, at the time and he goes like no just because you know you created it doesn't make it yours. Um, because I can go hey, if you, you know if you want to pull out these characters at any time, you know I can take you to court and you know make that not happen. To me, that was a wise thing, even though it's very incorrect. It was a wise thing that was uh, said to me because it just taught me to be very sure and careful to take every step that I um, that I move forward in what I create and what I do to make sure that it's protected on all ends. So that way, when it's made, not only is it solid in its story and in, in the product, but it's safe that are uh, legally for both
1: me and Brett. To not negativity. I think that's definitely uh, an important thing. I think that there's definitely it's good to get uh, constructive criticism and it's cr- those critiques. But at the same time, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are just going to be negative around you and, you know, that will want to just, you know, hammering you over the head with negative stuff. And someone said to me, just tune all that out. Whatever your vision is, you know, go forward with it. You know, take, take the critiques from the people that you love and care from. But the other stuff, just tune it out.
2: Everyone has one person that inspired them on their path to where they are today. Who was that for you?
1: Jeez, that's a good question. I don't necessarily think that there's, gosh, there's not really one person I can say that I could point to. I mean, you know, if anything, uh, it, it's always been just for uh, my family, basically, you know, I've always wanted to, to do things to sort of, thank them basically for, for the support that they've given me and make them, you know, see that, that all this stuff is, is worth it and stuff. So, yeah, not really one person, so to say. I guess, like I said, just you know, my, my family being my my immediate family, my parents, and that's pretty much it, you know?
0: You, you asked me, I would have told you a year ago. I would have told you, you know, Tom McFarland. I would have told you Steve Dicko. These guys are inspirational in beings for uh, creating these characters that are still so beloved to this day. But, you know, the older I get, the more I realize – to what Brett is saying, the people that inspire me the most, that keeps me going to do this actually is like, in, you know, Brett, Stephen Michidik, Justin Shin, uh, these guys, like, you know, some of the, you know, a lot of the guys that are part of the Voyage Melting Pot book, we have such raw, unbridled talent for ideas that are just waiting to be put onto paper and I see all the potential in it and I see that these guys just don't want to stop as much as I do that gives me more of a push to keep going because I know that I have it I I know I have a good idea I know this is going to hit and I know there's going to be a lot of talk on this it may not happen now but it will happen tomorrow or the next day. So these are the people that inspire me.
2: From a professional perspective, you have created not only one volume of this series, but you've now created an anthology. You have a Kickstarter ongoing. The first one was successful, the second one is doing very well as well too. So from a professional perspective, you have you are successful. Do you consider yourself personally successful?
0: No, I don't. What I envision success is owning a home and you're content with sitting down in a couch, right. Relaxing and just, you know, taking a breather and looking at your, you know, your shelf full of uh, a row of comics that you made. And I mean, a row and, you know, you're just relaxing with like a car in the parking lot and, you know, cartoons playing on the TV, you know, you are just having a good time like sitting in your man cave to me that I would have to say that would be a success. I mean, even, Owning an action figure of your character, that that's pretty successful. But until I reach that point, I, I'm not going to say that I'm successful.
1: I think everything is a little success. The way I look at it is that, you know, it's not just like the mega success, whether it be just that one thing, you know, like City Slickers. What's that one thing? You know what I'm saying? You know, I think it's the the little tiny successes. You know, like I said, like, you know, we did the first Kickstarter. That was a success. Uh, you know, we're working on this one. Hopefully it'll get funded. That'll be a great success too. The stories that are in this this book are another success, you know? So I think the way that I, I'm judging success for this whole journey so far, the goals that we set if we achieve them and if we can keep doing it that'll be the success. If we can still keep, you know, cranking out these stories, and if we can get them out to people, whether it be, you know, ideally, sure, we'd love to see these stories on on a comic shelf for, you know, people to put down their $2.99, $3.99, what what a book is sold for today. I mean, that would be, you know, the height of success. If we can find a way to get these stories out to people, whether it be through Kickstarter, Webtoons, or any other kind of uh, way that's a success. So I think that the definition of success is sort of defined in the way that if we're able to keep doing what we're doing and if there's a fan base out there that wants it, that that's the real uh, measure of success.
2: The reverse of success is failure. How do you deal with your failures?
0: I don't deal with it very well, honestly. And if I'm being honest, you know, because i got a lot of people that, you know, tell me like, no, in order to go ahead and, you know, keep going, you got to fail a few times. And honestly, I've had my share of failures uh, before going to school, even during, you know, I've gotten so sick and tired of failing that I have pushed really hard to make sure that everything that I try to do doesn't fail. Now, And, and that's why I just don't take it very easily when it does, when something does fail, because I do the best I can to make sure it doesn't yeah you know, it's just an
1: honest answer i just don't take value very well uh, the easy answer is is i drain my sorrows in, in one of these you know <laughs> these gigantic m&m's uh containers you know but uh you know after i i do that uh you know i just basically you know take a few days to myself and and regroup and try and figure out what what did i do wrong take another crack at it basically you know i mean it's you know, I think like everything, you definitely do need time to acknowledge your failures. And I think for people to say, you know, you just got to get back up on the horse again, you risk getting back on that horse too soon. And you commit an even worse sort of failure, you know, so I think it's important to take a step back and, and have that time to, you know, quote, unquote, grieve or whatever it is. So you can kind of you know, see what you did wrong and come up with a new battle pa- plan. So that's pretty much what I do.
2: The younger generation is looking at your work and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's as a comic creator or writer, or an artist, or whatever they would like to do creatively. How can they inspire the generation that follows them?
0: Oh, man. Uh, that's the first time I've actually gotten asked that question. I think the best answer I could give to that is whatever they figure out and what they love doing. I don't care if everyone is against them on that idea. Their opinions don't mean nothing. It's what that individual wants and what they, uh, that individual loves. If they can find out what inspires them, be the best that they can at that particular thing and just, go crazy with it because, you know, that will be recognized and whatever body of work that that individual will make, people will notice and, you know, be aware of it. And that in itself will inspire others to go ahead and keep going.
1: I think just by keep challenging themselves and challenging, I mean, not just by uh, stories, but just, just a perception of things. Don't, don't be, don't settle for, you know, the status quo. I think that's what happens. I think that, you know, when not to get too philosophical, but, you know, when there's that whole thing about, you know, when man, man stagnates, you know, basically society withers and dies, you know? So in that regard, I think that if people are, you know, a little too complacent creativity falters and, you know, from there we don't get anything new we get the same old stuff a million different like death of this character and then we're going to bring them back in a year you know what i'm saying so i think that it's important for the next generation to question things and and always think of new ways to tell stories you know because you know let's face it a lot of stories are tale as old as time you know what i'm saying i mean so you just got to find a new way to convey that idea just be mindful of that and always push forward and don't be afraid to ask questions.
2: Well, I do hate to say it, but that ends this particular episode of two geeks talking before I let you both go, where can we find you and how can we support you online? And where can we find the Kickstarter? And when does it end?
0: For me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Zachary's art on Facebook. It's dwell, uh, dwarf star comics. The campaign that we have running now is voyage melting pot. We got a goal of 25 K you just type in voice melting pot on Kickstarter and the title just will come right on up.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, the the stuff for the Kickstarter, like you said, just go on there and, and type it in and stuff. Uh for me personally, um I've been trying to be a little bit better as far as social media goes, but I guess you can find me on Instagram. It's just B Melgrano, First letter, initial, and then last name Melagrano. So uh I'm going to try and get a little bit better posting some more writing, some more art and things like that. So that's probably the best place for you to find me.
2: Thanks so much for both of you to come on the show. I greatly appreciate it. And I hope to have you both back on in the future.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Kurt. We really appreciated it.
2: Like I said, that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. You can, of course, find this interview and a thousand plus others on our website, twogeekstalking.com or tgtmedia.com. Or on our YouTube channel, which is a little more updated than our website, youtube.com forward slash TGT media. And as I say, every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening, watching on 2 Geeks Talk.